Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the new cycle of people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. This was once the United States of America. We once had a constitution. People <laughs> once adhered to it. They once admired this great country of ours, but no longer. Donald Trump has declared himself president. He denied that an election even took place. He's decided that he will count only two ballots. His and Milan. So it's a tie. And as a result, <laughs> he is president for life. This is what they predicted all along. The reign of terror. Mm. Fascism has finally come to America. I was wrong, ladies and gentlemen, and I am sorry for leading you astray. Psychaboo-boo. I'm kidding. I'm still great. I still do various things at free things. And <laughs> we did have an election yesterday. All the stores were boarded up. And mm. I think... Matt Welch was out yeah. all black. He's the editor at large reason magazine participating in demonstrations, hoping for an opportunity to smash windows and steal a new iPhone. Michael Moynihan was working. He was in studio. So I, I do know that's true, but I watched him weeping on yeah. air yeah. because he thought that Joe Biden had lost. No, I thought Joe Jorgensen had lost. <laughs> Surprised to find out. But here we are yeah. some moments removed gentlemen from last night's uncertainty, I was ignoring the presidential race for most of the day, checked the news at 1030, looking for signs of political unrest. And for the most part, things seemed to be fairly calm, except everyone was nervous as hell because the results were just trickling in. The polls seemed to be pretty way off. Places that Biden was supposed to win handily it looked like Trump was ahead in. Maybe he would even win Wisconsin. But by today, folks are estimating that Joe Biden has won those states. We're still waiting on results in places like Georgia, Pennsylvania. I believe Arizona is still outstanding, if I'm not mistaken. Nevada. Fox News and the Associated Press have called, at the very least, Arizona, which would put it up to 264. Everyone else is kind of hands off. And the campaign is so angry at Fox News. The Trump campaign specifically on Arizona. And I did a thing today, which I don't often do, but I I made the mistake of watching some cable news in the past 24 hours. And it is just dreadful. Uh But I'll say tonight, and, and I have to be honest about this, tonight at like, you know, 536, something like that, for about an hour and a half, two hours, I watched Fox and it was actually pretty good. I was surprised. It's, it's mm. the best. I was, it is the best. It was so weird because it was like, you know, Martha McCallum, I think is her name, and, uh, and Brett Baer. And they had a bunch of Trump flunkies on talking about ballot counting in Pennsylvania. And they were just brutalizing them and just being like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Give us your evidence that, that, that something untoward is happening. <laughs> they were totally down the middle. They seem like they're just off the leash now. They can do whatever they want to now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They don't, they don't have to. I mean, they were, Emperor in Trump. fairness, they were, they were on Tuesday night as well, by all accounts. I wasn't listening or watching them on Tuesday. I was watching our pal Steve Kornacki. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish, and other people suggested this on Twitter and elsewhere, like, if you had a button that would just sort of like buzz your leg when Kornacki <laughs> yeah, comes that's on. exactly what I was thinking. There should be right? a bell, like, a Kornacki bell. Oh, switch directly to because, MSNBC. Yeah, yeah, totally. I go on when he's on this is khaki. If it's if it's Joy <laughs> Reid calling everybody racist, like you want the volume down. If it's Brian Williams, Brian Williams literally he it was as if he was pronouncing Gandhi had just died. It was like 
we have we have a new <laughs> yeah o- oh God. ohio ohio has been won by Donald Trump. Yeah, and no, I, I saw a bit of that. It was, it was unbelievable. Like the Bay of Pigs uh, invasion failed or something. <laughs> it was just like, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe it's happening. And then, like, uh, honestly, and Kornacki is so great, and I just want to get him the whole time. Yeah. And then they have all of these. Is it, Camille, you must have heard about this. Um, was, uh, what's her name there? Joy Reid, the liar, the one who lies about being hacked. <laughs> <laughs> let's actually let's do what she does to other people. So Joy Reid, the, the the virulent homophobe, um, oh, no. she uh, she uh, referred to Clarence Thomas as Uncle Clarence. Wow! Did on she on really? air? I didn't. No catch one said that. a damn thing. No I one didn't said catch anything. that. Yeah. I mean, that was that part of the election coverage. I don't think it was. It was in the like past a, couple days. It's just it, apropos right. of nothing, essentially. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, Matt, you miss a golden opportunity. <laughs> you can't say that you turn the volume down when Joy Reid starts to talk. What you need is a white noise machine. You see what I did yeah. there? White supremacy, oh. white noise. Turn mm. her down in that way. Drown her out because we don't let those That's... uppity Negroes oh, say see. what they want to say. That Negro is not even. Come on, are you kidding? It's not. I'm not even going to do it. Completely, completely. Do you know, we are, but no, I mean, even it wasn't Nicole Wallace a Republican once upon a time? Dude. Like, she was managing the distressed anxieties of the MSNBC family yesterday. It's like, I know, I know that you're upset that Florida um, didn't didn't come through, but like, you know, that's not the path. There's the, yeah, they've yeah, said yeah. from the beginning that the path goes. Through, it's like, yeah. holy cow! Right. The impl- yeah. the implied we, the first person plural of uh, MSNBC, was astonishing to behold. It, it really it, was, it, I, and and Fox she, was uh, better about it when they talked about uh, the election. I thought it, she is the absolute fucking worst, and I don't know why the McCain campaign. Uh, and I'm sure you have some theories about this, Matt, um, having written a book about John McCain attracted so many fucking grifters between like the Lincoln project and the number of people who are like on MSNBC, like Nicole Wallace is absolutely the worst. Cause I mean, it's not even like if I were to interview Nicole Wallace, I wouldn't say, you know, Nicole, what was the moment where you realized your previous ideology was something that you no longer held? <laughs> it would just be like, I know that you got a paycheck and you decided to, to be, this person and you got a previous paycheck and you decided to be that person. It's just boring and, and, and obvious, but to the Fox uh, point, you know, I've, I've been very hard on Fox because when I do watch it, I'm just like, what is this nonsense? Particularly if you watch like the morning show, <laughs> the one that Trump watches and a lot of the opinion shows, but man, I was pretty impressed that they had people on from both sides on allowing them to make their cases being very judicious about the Trump compl- uh, complaints about ballots, and particularly I got Martha McCallum, like just saying, like really ripping. I think Kaylee, uh, Kaylee Schultz. Uh, <laughs> I think they're, I think they're married, and uh, uh, Macanini, and uh, she was like, and, and and she was giving her such a hard time because she was like, rightfully so. She's like, but the ballots, if they're postmarked by today, that's the law, in and and in Pennsylvania, and she couldn't answer the question. And she was just beating up on her. And I was yeah. like, man, I am, imagine if they would ever do something like that on MS when um, some of these Biden flunkies are making a similar, similarly disingenuous argument. I mean, I've watched more. I, I've stopped watching cable news like a year ago or eight months ago or something. Um, and so I'm watching here just to sort of keep track and to watch the Kornak in, in, in motion. And uh, and it's really interesting how MSNBC actually didn't have. I mean, I watched hours yesterday and today. Didn't have anybody from 
the Trump side. The closest thing they have to a Republican is the former uh, Republican chair, what's his face, uh, Michael Steele. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's, and yeah. who's great. I like him a lot. And he's fine. And he's like, obviously not voting for Republicans anymore. That's not that part of his life is finished. Yeah, he's open. Um, and like, yeah. and, and which is fine, too. Uh, but it's like there is no one even making a half hearted gesture towards the other side um, uh, at all, uh, which is interesting. The other thing I would say, and I've been meaning to say this for a long time. Um, is that uh, I, as I'm recording here at home, I record on three books. It's the same three books every time. It's Hard Call by John McCain and Mark Salter. This is just also um, it's next to my McCain thing uh, of the book because you mentioned Nicole Wallace. When you say you record on people. books, you mean you have something propped up on a number? My microphone is, okay. is stacked on, on three books. <laughs> I, I saw Camille's... going to get you a boom mic. Just... brow. He was like, what the like, fuck what are, you are you talking, talking about? about? I record on three books. People don't know, man. Uh, they don't yeah. know what you mean yeah. when you say that. Sound like a uh, mental case. <laughs> there's a, uh, a, a there's a book about uh, 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 Barry Goldwater called Pure Goldwater, uh-huh. and there's a really great and unknown uh, book about John McCain's military life by a guy named John Karagak, which uh, which is great, and I relied on my book. Um, I say this partly uh, because uh, Megan McCain is a listener, and her husband Ben Dominic, um, uh, Mr. Megan McCain, uh, whatever. I mean Ross. Douth bag, yeah, whatever. Same guy. Um, we understand uh, that Matt cannot pronounce <laughs> the names of conservatives. He says they all they <laughs> all like, look alike, a, is what he says. <laughs> there is this weird split in Planet McCain between the people uh, uh, who are part of that clan, um, part of the or the overall campaign, I should say. Um, and uh, and cause I, I wrote a book that was critical of. We heard guy. about that, and like. And I'm super, uh, uh, like, friendly and, and uh, 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 like, to the point of, of taking advice when I was writing the book from some of the McCain people who, like, you know, encouraging me to finish it back because I had to, my delivery date was five days after he almost suspended his campaign in 2007. Um, uh, half those people, like Mark Salter, McCain's co-author, who would probably want to punch me in the mouth on, a, on occasion or, or three, is a super honorable dude, and we have a fine relationship. Um, and half of them are absolute Lincoln Project grifters who, if I sneeze, they block me on Twitter. It's it's amazing. Like the 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 category difference of people like all those people on this one side. Totally cool. Love to drink with them and hang out. Not that I do, but I would love to in theory. The other half are the most insufferable, like politically malleable hey is john Kasich running i'm gonna like get him to pay me two hundred thousand dollars a month to do nothing uh fuckwits you could ever imagine that's all i wanted to say. well look let's let's plot a course here because there's a lot going on plenty we could talk about i want to i want to gauge your interests it looks like joe biden is going to secure the victory here that republicans will probably hold on to control of the senate and that democrats will maybe gain slightly in the house that's what we're looking at at the moment. We're not entirely sure. We do know that pollsters seem to have gotten it wrong again in some substantial way, or at least some in some meaningful sense, because they were looking for sense. margins that were bigger than they turned out to be. So that might be of interest. Certainly the case that a lot of people are frustrated with them. There is what we were already talking about here with respect to sort of the dynamics in media and perhaps what's likely to happen post-election. There is what appears to be a, a very serious legal challenge that's beginning to boil, not serious in terms of the substance of the challenge necessarily, but serious in terms of the potential ramifications. The president appears to have lost the popular vote here, is angling for some sort of electoral college victory, which is 
always controversial for many Americans who discover for the first time every four years that, oh my God, we have this thing called the Electoral College. That doesn't seem fair. I don't have those objections. Those are some people's perspective. But it looks like the president wants to go to court. And there is a very odd dynamic that's emerged where you have the president's supporters yelling, stop the count. And Joe Biden's supporters are yelling, count every vote. This seems on its face not particularly democratic. And a lot of people have taken notice of that. And you also still have cities across America that are boarded up that have expectations of potential political unrest, expectations that in many important respects don't go away just because we seem to have reached some sort of conclusion in in some sense, just because enough states have announced for Joe Biden. If this goes on for long enough, it is possible that some of that concern remains. And it's certainly the case that here on the, the night after the election, while we're still waiting for the results to be finalized, many places are still on high alert and places like Portland will almost certainly still see pretty massive demonstrations or at least significant demonstrations that they have for, for many, many weeks now. Um, and possibly <laughs> Camille, you do realize that if, if you interviewed somebody hurling a chair through a, like a window of a Starbucks, they could very plausibly say there was an election last night. <laughs> it's just what people do in Portland at this yeah. point. So you, you I did see demonstrations in D.C. Um, yeah, and reported in other, in nowhere, by the way. Very, very little reporting on this. And there were some assaults and injuries, apparently a stabbing in which multiple people were stabbed. There's a bizarre story to read in the New York Post today about some people who were apparently associated with the Proud Boys, but also a black woman who was stabbed by folks who apparently were Black Lives Matter supporters. That sort of political violence is somewhat unusual in the United States, but compared to what a lot of people were expecting after the, the, the spectacle of demonstrations and in many instances, violent demonstrations and riots, what people were most concerned about happening didn't seem to materialize last night. And that, that seems like a good thing. So that's a lot of stuff that we could ch chat about well, let's um, take am it I, from am I that. missing anything. Where do you guys want to go? No, well, we can we can take it from that and then fill in because there's a lot, as you point out, there's a lot to fill in. I would say this. The weird thing about the political violence thing is that everyone's boarding up windows. Everyone's doing having these conversations about it on television, on Twitter, especially without any indication that any one group had promised political violence. There'd been some stragglers here and there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's these uh, militia groups, one of which I hung out with, but they didn't promise violence either. They, um, they said that you, they would defend uh, X, Y, and Z if there were violence. Mm -hmm. um, and as preparing I pointed out, for Antifa to show up in their... their well, yeah, they, they, they said we're not preparing for a Donald Trump uh, loss. We're preparing, preparing for Donald Trump victory. And that would be like Antifa and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, there is so much heavy breathing about a friend of mine who's a very, very smart person, uh, European... Uh, woman who said, I'm going to a election watch party, but my husband also, uh, he's actually Middle Eastern, said uh, he didn't want me to go out. And I was like, and so I'm calling you for advice because you can talk sense into him because he trusts you. And I was like, what, why wouldn't you go out? And she's like, well, you know, he's worried about, you know, what happens when the results come in and all this kind of ideas of violence and things. And I was like, whoa, whoa, this is, this is a little bit of heavy breathing. But I guarantee you something is that, you know, the New York Post reports on whatever happened in D.C. I didn't pay much attention, but there, I know there was a bunch of a big crowd of people marching on the White House or something. And then they tangle with these other bozo LARPers and in the Proud Boys and then people get stabbed. 
But if that were in the other direction, if there were 50 people, not even armed, maybe they were armed, maybe not armed, Mm -hmm. but in fatigues or something with MAGA hats on, uh, marching towards anything, White House, the, you know, Capitol Hill or something, I think there'd probably be eight hours of uh, live feed on MSNBC is that the weird thing is that we have people say, oh, my God, there's going to be violence in the streets. And I'm like, motherfucker, where have you been? There's violence in the streets like every night in like half the cities in America. So what would be the difference? I mean, the difference, it seems, last night is that it was pretty calm, like compared to, you know, Mm -hmm. Philadelphia and and, and Kenosha, New York City, uh, L.A., uh, obviously Portland, obviously Chaz Bono up there in Seattle and all that stuff. It's, Mm -hmm. It's just been... Like people have seemed to have forgotten and they shouldn't because in these election results, I think a lot of that stuff um, accounts. And this is just a guess, by the way, because which is just like the pollsters these days. It's just a guess is uh, I think that accounts for a lot of Donald Trump's um, uh, bounce uh, back, if you want to say back, because that would presume that you trusted the uh, poll, the, the polls in the first place. Um, that he, perfor- he overperformed those polls. And I think that a lot of that could actually be attributed to, to, to law and order stuff. Although the gap between the final polling and the final results, which, to be clear, we don't have the final results. In uh, Pennsylvania in particular, you know, Trump was up by 12, 13 percentage points with 75 percent reporting. It's like, holy cow. They must be stealing it. Well, no, actually, it's the way that they've set up the the counting, particularly in Pennsylvania, not everywhere else in the country. But like our sense of the gap between the final polls and the final numbers is still incomplete. That throat clear aside, um, it's pretty consistent across the board. There's six, seven, eight uh, percentage points. And if you're in Montana, where no one cared to poll anyways, <laughs> they're off by 10 points, 15 points, 20 points in the case of Alaska so far. And at the same time, you don't see a spike in the trend line. Uh, New York Times had an exit poll, and I think it was something like 15,000 interviews. It's a pretty thorough exit poll. Uh, that showed that people who decided to vote in the last week, and believe it or not, there were some people like that, about 5% of the electorate, according to this poll, preferred Donald Trump. It wasn't nearly to the degree that they did Last time, last time in the last week is when Donald Trump won the election here. It was I don't have it in front of you, but it was something like by five or 10 percentage points. They preferred uh, Trump over Biden. So I think there might have been some movement, but it's not as if Kenosha happens. George Floyd happens and you can see the pre-existingly, you know, bad uh, uh, polling, but nonetheless is showing trend lines. You never saw those trend lines really skip one way or the other. Right. It was pretty much flat in most places that were polled extensively uh, over time. So I'm not sure um, whether that plays into it. But then again, no one's sure about anything. Iowa Hawk, David Burge, who actually knows a little thing about math, had a really great explanation of the problems with statistical sampling. And it's basically technology has become so advanced in the way that we communicate with one another that it makes it harder for us to understand one another. I think it's just fantastic. And it's and it's a fundamental problem of polling right now because the phone rings. You can see. I don't know this person. Fuck them. (laughs) You don't answer the phone. How do you how do you deal with that problem? And and that's a serious problem that that mars 
all polling and it's and it's it is staggering how lopsidedly wrong the polls were almost all in the direction of underestimating support for Donald Matt, Trump. you I mean, mentioned the uh, exit polling from the New York Times, another narrative that has been circulating about the particular kinds of people who are voting for Donald Trump. And it does seem, and these are preliminary numbers, it does seem to have been the case that Donald Trump actually improved his numbers, and in some instances pretty substantially, talking about like doubling on very low starting points, but doubling support among, say, black women, black men, among LGBT folks, and very controversially amongst Latinx people or Latinos, depending on how you want to say it. Or maybe they're just white people. Are they are they white people? (laughs) You mean you mean the you mean the uh, the George Zimmerman effect? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the white the white Cubans who aren't really Latinos, and that's something yes. we really need to talk about. Um, yes. I wonder. I wonder if any of those developments strike you all as meaningful in the context of the election, or is it just too early to really have those conversations? No, no it's incredibly uh, useful, and uh, particularly because there's the exit poll stuff, and then there's us trying to divine what happened in Miami Dade County and kind of disaggregate. Uh, some of the voting there, but there's actually a pure version of that uh, in, in Texas, and that's Star County, which is uh, the most Latino county in America, which is a 96% Latino county. Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, won it by, I think, 65 or 70 points, <laughs> hmm. uh, which is like almost she got everything. And uh, Joe Biden won it too, by five, mm-hmm. by wow. five points. I mean, it's that's it's amazing. amazing. And to watch the kind of consternation and watch the Nicole Hannah Joneses of the world deny people's ethnicities because in their world, an ethnicity is the same thing as a political worldview. And if your worldview deviates from uh, the you know, prescribed worldview of uh, said ethnicity, you are, in the, the language of Joy Reid, Uncle Clarence, right? And so this is what's <laughs> happening, the Uncle Clarencing of a lot of Hispanic voters. The other thing that I found really interesting about this was how quickly people uh, in the media class are to kind of dehumanize Hispanic voters and say that they're not, they have no agency and they're not, they're not in control of their faculties and they're not, they're being lied to. It's a mm-hmm. misinformation campaign. Right. They're being told things that aren't true. It's they're being t- told things about socialism. And that was the big uh, line that, uh, but, you know, I, I, a lot of these people know a lot more about socialism mm-hmm. than any of the people commenting on Twitter do because they're here here in the United States because of it. But it's not just Cubans. I mean, stop it. This fucking Cuban thing. It's like, the, the how many Cubans are there in Star County in Texas? Probably zero, right? There's not, none, right? Are there Central Americans? Yes. Are they evangelical? Probably some of them are. Are they Catholic? Maybe some of them are Catholic. But, you know, it, it's also... The people don't see what you see always. And this is the hardest thing for somebody who went to like a very expensive private high school and a very, very expensive private college and then work at the New York Times to understand. <laughs> they don't interact with people. They say, well, how could they possibly think these things? I don't think these things. They don't see Donald Trump as a racist. How could that possibly be? Well, when I was in Florida, and you can watch the film that I did. It's on, it's on um, YouTube uh, now. Uh, called Chaos, about uh, appropriately titled. We were prescient in that sense. Um, and there's a bit of us in Florida and Miami. And the number of people that I talk to 
I always ask them that question. Don't you think Donald Trump's racist? He says all Mexicans are rapists, whatever. And they're like, no, man, that's bullshit. He's not like that. He's he's like, you know, and they'll go on like everybody has a slightly different take on it. But they reject this kind of thing. They 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 reject this kind of idea. They don't use the word. I, I, there's actually a person in the film who's who's um, a, a Biden supporter and a Cuban uh, who told me in the funniest way was like, we don't use the word Latinx. You understand that, right? And I was like, yeah, no, of course. And I would never. And she and, and she explained to me that how funny it sounded in Spanish. And I think it was. And she said like Latinex is like how you would say it in Spanish, and it makes no sense. And everyone was like, yeah, no, it's dumb. And just that right there, just that one thing right there, shows you the difference between the people talking about the quote unquote Hispanic vote, which disaggregates nothing, and they're all the same. Um, and and in you know the media and the people who are actually voting and Hispanic, because the one final thing I'll say about this is you it, it shows you how little people know and how people are stuck in this old narrative about Cubans. Because how did the Cuban vote, you know, in, in, increase so much for Donald Trump? It's not because they saw a fucking YouTube video about socialism. I mean, they saw that shit in 2016 too. It's because it's actual policy differences that they're interested in and concerned about. And it ain't, it ain't just Cubans, guys. They're, everybody who talks about this in um, Miami says this, this holy triumvirate. It's Nicaraguans, Venezuelans, and Cubans. Hmm. All people who live there and they escaped left-wing authoritarian regimes. And, and, and whether or not you think that's a logical thing to do is escape those places and then vote for Donald Trump. Basically, <laughs> the people that I talk to are like, you know, we're just playing it safe at this point. I, I don't want to vote mm-hmm. for the guy who has anything nice to say about about the Castros or wants to open up diplomatic relations with Maduro or whatever it is. But it's complicated, and I loved watching it flattened by stupid people. Moynihan, I wonder if I could perhaps not push back and hopefully perhaps sure. not defend Nicole Hannah-Jones, but she she nearly gets it right in my estimation. The tweet was, one day after this election is over, I'm going to write a piece about how Latino is a contrived ethnic category. Whoa, okay, that's good. That artificially lumps together white Cubans and black Puerto Ricans and indigenous Guatemalans and helps to explain why Latinos support Trump at the second highest rate. In the beginning there, I'm with you. This is a contrived category. There are diverse individuals and all sorts of interesting, complicated communities that make up these ethnic identities. What's important to her is to recategorize them and to recategorize some of them as white to explain their political allegiances and to maintain the fiction that the only reason someone could support Donald Trump is because of racial animus. That is what it is. It's the reason why these people can't get their act together and support the right candidate and oppose racism. As she tweeted earlier today, America is who we said they were, who we believed they were, which is objectively racist because this race was simply far closer than any of them felt comfortable. A, a, a quick response to that is, is that you're absolutely right, and I'm glad you made that point because it, it is – she's not wrong, um, but well, I, she's, all, she's, she's, she's genuine. She's wrong in the main, yeah. <laughs> she, she's uh, – because I guarantee you – you could go back into her tweets. I'm sure they've all been deleted 6,000 times and find her talking about Latinx people in the very same way that she's denouncing. But she's denouncing it now because now she wants to uh, blame it on the, the white guys and saying, well, the people who voted who are Hispanic are actually white Hispanics 
And so that makes a difference. But, you know, if somebody came to you and was, you know, look, I mean, it's absurd to even talk this way, but I have to talk this way because this is how Nicole Hannah-Jones thinks, is it had the complexion. Yes, that's what I'm saying. The complexion of the average Cuban complexion. Let's make it an average. I mean, this is how stupid this shit is. And they said, I didn't get a job and because of blank, you know, and I think it was because of racism. I don't think that whole Anna Jones would turn away from that and say, well, no, you're mm-hmm. basically white. It's, it's, it's situational for these people that now they need to explain that, you know, it was white women in 2016. And there was a tweet yeah. that I sent you last night. Like if Donald Trump's win, wins, we have to blame white people. When the exit poll actually showed, uh, New York Times exit poll, that the only uh, group in which Donald Trump was losing support was white men. Everything else, he was, he was gaining support. White men, he was losing support. So all of these narratives are incredibly dumb. They're incredibly ill-considered. And what they do is they try to take all of them and put them into the pre-existing framework of politics that they operate from, which is never the way to think about politics. Never. And this is why these people make these fucking category errors all the time. This is why everyone says right now, Charles Blow, the graphic designer from the New York Times, who apparently got a column, um, he said, uh, <laughs> by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look at his Wikipedia. He literally was ran the graphic depart- design department at the New York Times. Um, and they just decided to give him a call. He, he's like, you know, it's the patri- white patriarchy. These people, like, in victory, and I'll tell you what, we're Nevada away from a Joe Biden presidency, in something that appears to be close to victory, they still have to fucking complain and say, well, it's close, and all those people are racist. And it's like, you literally learned nothing in the past four <laughs> years, did you? Not a fucking thing. You sit on your fucking shares in midtown Manhattan getting paid way too much to write the fucking shittiest columns that's worth nothing. You're afraid of everybody. You think everybody's a fucking genocidal racist. And you never talk to these people. You never go to Star County and say, why did all these people that are, you know, Mexican-American, Guatemalan-American, Honduran-American, why are they voting for Donald Trump? You might be interested. It's like, no, 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 because it blows up your undergraduate view of the world. So Charles Blow's column was... Uh glossing on that those exit poll data which uh camille points out showed that trump is gaining support among just about every like non-white category non-straight white male category um this is the headline exit polls point to drum roll please (laughs) the power of white patriarchy what the fuck does that mean Did did, 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 did he just pull that out of a hat? (laughs) Some people... They just can't... You can just make this shit like Mad Lib. (laughs) Some people, goes the headline, who have historically been oppressed, like Camille, Mm. uh, will will stand with their oppressors. Wow. The, uh, oh, for God's the, sake. uh, the, wow. The closing of the column, uh, the false consciousness flourish. All this to me points to the power of the white patriarchy and the coattail it has of those who depend on Mm. it, like Camille, or aspire, (laughs) or aspire to it. That's true. All I've ever wanted. All I've ever wanted is to get a white heaven. That's it. It's me, Uncle Ruckus. Here I am. (laughs) It reaches across gender and sexual orientation and even race, like uh, Trump's Trump's brash, privileged chest trumping. Mm. What? What? And alpha male dismissiveness and in-your-face rudeness are aspirational to some men and appealing to some women. Some people who have historically <laughs> been oppressed will stand with the oppressors and will aspire 
to power by proximity, says Charles. He Pond. writes. He writes like a graphic designer. Um, that's, <laughs> I, but, sure. but, but it is. It is honestly. It's the capo argument, and this is every. Like, there's always a racial version of this, and amongst Jews, it's you know, it's the capo. You, you know, the 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 concentration camp inmate who helped the Nazis, and that's that's the ultimate slur, right? It's the Uncle Tom of 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 Judaism, like calling somebody a capo. But it is it is really funny that how. I mean, it's uh, this is almost comic that somebody would actually come up with something like this. Somebody disagrees with me, lives in a totally different circumstance, would not even recognize New York City of like how people interact and operate here. I mean, they're, every aspect, every beat, every rhythm of their life is different than the something that that the graphic designer Charles Blow uh, uh, understands. But despite that, flatten all of that and say, well, the only thing is they must have been fooled. And of course, as you point out, that's the ultimate false. Uh, um, uh, what did I just say? False, not false, <laughs> false consciousness. I, I, I lost, <laughs> I lost my angles in a moment of uh, wine. Um, the false consciousness <laughs> argument at that at that point is, which is just, which is like you. There's no way you're there because on your own you were tricked. Mm-hmm. You know what's the matter with Kansas, right? Remember that? You know it's Tom Frank's yeah. book. But that that is the most condescending argument in the world, and it it, it actually dehumanizes people in a way that only racists can do and graphic designers, this idea that their people are a skin color. They have to think and vote and talk in, you know, everything the same way as him, who's the arbiter of what is correct. I mean, imagine the pomposity of that to write a column and say, there are, you know, 14% of the population in a nation of 330 million people. You do the math. I'm not very good at it, but that's a lot. And if they don't think like Charles Blow, who the fuck appointed him the arbiter of like what it is to be black? I mean, it's like him and Joe Biden. I mean, Joe, remember Joe Biden? If you don't vote for what was it? If you don't vote, if you vote for Donald Trump, you ain't black. Right? True. You ain't you ain't black. Yeah, and you I love black. that ain't that ain't. And there. and, and they gonna put y'all back in chains. Which, yeah, that's right. You know, also but, didn't happen. It was a lie, apparently. But they didn't didn't, didn't get put back in chains. Oh, they did. I suppose they won they that race, right? Oh shit! I've been donating to this organization uh, called <laughs> Free Them from the Chains that they just got put back. Free them from them chains. I saw from them chains. Moynihan speaking Star Star County. I saw an attempt by people to confront that. I mean, it's it's. I think the single most interesting reversal yes. uh, in any county in the country. Huge too. Like. To try to grapple with that is, I mean, it's just like all those, what were they called? The Obama, Obama, Trump uh, counties, like in in Wisconsin. Star County is fascinating. So people are like, well, I mean, okay, they're Latinos, but they all work for the Border Patrol. So they're not really Latinos. Yeah, this is is absolutely great. As if it's never occurred to any new (laughs) ethnic minority to work for the local police force as part of their assimilation process. Never. never. No, that's never I, happened it before. never man. occurred. Couldn't have yeah. happened. Every interest group, grievance group, whatever you want to call it, um, minority group, um, I don't want to conflate all those because that sounds really nasty and mean, and I don't mean that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, actually. Uh, but they, everyone has this thing. I mean, you remember, like, Margaret Thatcher was not a woman. Uh, l- literally, there are people that made the argument that she's actually not a woman. So the right, first she woman, I mean, yeah. she doesn't count. First I mean, woman to, to lead a uh, Western European nation, 1979, a huge thing. But she's like a Friedmanite, and, you know, she's uh, going to slash 
uh, government spending, etc. And she, at that point, turns in her vagina. You get free to choose, and you give uh, the vagina in exchange. And that's what people actually <laughs> said. And this, you have this in, in many, many instances of women who don't fit in with the appropriate politics is that you can't actually be a woman and, you know, you can't be Hispanic if you are in Star County. Apparently 96% of uh, Star County works or 50 or 48% or whatever voted for Joe Biden uh, or, or Donald Trump work for the Border Patrol. It's a pretty fucking heavy Border Patrol they got over there, isn't it? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and it's too much, and the Border Patrol Union sucks, and I, I, I get all of that. But, like, one thing that really bugs me about that kind of your, you know, immutable characteristics have to define what your politics might be is that it's never applied to Moynihan. Yeah. <laughs> it's never applied to me. Um, well, I, I mean, fit mine perfectly. I am, I am yeah, a, it's true. a like lazy the, alcoholic who gets in fights all the time. And is a bit work shy, yeah. I vote against my uh, my class apparently since I'm a non college white. <laughs> yes, that's right. I've, I've yet to to vote for Donald Trump, but no, it's a it's an onus that's placed particularly on traditionally disfavored groups in a way that suggests they shouldn't have their own agency and identity. And what a marvelous opportunity this could be. It's an election. It's always going to be disappointing, particularly to me. I'm disappointed in all of you. Really, really disappointed, particularly Camille. <laughs> but like all of you listening, just it's terrible. Your performance. Uh, mine, too. But is it? Um, but like it's a marvelous opportunity when you see yeah. four years of everybody saying that this is a an administration that's rooted in white supremacy that it's all coded racial appeals and it's all this, some of which I, you know, I agree with with like a chunk of that, not not as strong language of it. But like Donald Trump has singled people out and I believe made policy around the notions of kind of collective uh, aspersions of people who belong to groups. And I think that's that's uniquely a horrible thing to do, and it's one of the reasons why I don't like him. However, if all you say for four years is that it's all white supremacy, it's all white supremacy, it's all white supremacy, and then you see Latinos just absolutely bounce for him, and it ain't just Cubans, it ain't just them white Cubans. You know, it's and it's not just Star County uh, Border Patrol people. Gustavo Ariano, our friend from the Los Angeles Times, had a great column about this just today. Like, don't you go like trying to talk about the Latino vote yeah. and making yeah. your assumptions about it. These are individuals who have their own agencies and set of beliefs and from a lot of different countries who all hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> so like what a great opportunity to say, hey, look, the world is complicated and maybe my. Uh, assessment of things was too simplistic and of course that's not what you're seeing uh, and I think what's what that will do is set up the media for another four years of of having an opportunity to re-examine the way they approach things and absolutely choosing the opposite one quick point on this is the idea that used to dominate how we thought about race and how we should interact with it particularly when I was uh, a lot younger, when I was in you know, middle school and the rest of it, was the idea of stereotypes, right? Don't say black people act this way, black people eat this, black people listen to this, because it's a stereotype. Don't you know, categorize people. Now, can we get back to that? Because all of this conversation that I'm seeing online about whether or not Hispanics uh, or Latinos or Latinx people voted the correct way is based on stereotypes. 
How could they possibly do X or Y? This is not how they are supposed to act. Latinos are supposed to believe this. They're supposed to think this. They're supposed to blah, blah. And then they have to make these excuses rather than, you know, looking at the evidence and saying, maybe I am stereotyping an entire group of people who should think a certain way. You know, it's, it's weird that, that people are engaging in ethnic stereotyping and they're not the people who are pointing out that the world is more complicated than they believe it to be. Yeah, well, it'd be good to, to talk a little bit about some of the other things that happened last night, particularly Trump's remarks on the evening of the election when things were still pretty uncertain. He suggested that he had won various states. No one else was projecting him as the winner. He just projected himself that way. The <laughs> states themselves had said, we're still counting and we're probably not going to be finished counting for a while. A lot of ballots to get through and we move pretty slow here in Pennsylvania and Donald Trump and his son actually subsequently like, yeah, we won. We, we obviously won there. Um, and anyone who says otherwise is engaged in voter fraud. And maybe we can adjudicate some of the voter fraud claim in some respect before we finish today. But I, I wonder if you gentlemen had the same sort of response that I saw a number of very respectable people have online, which was to say, this is our worst fear made manifest, the president of the United States going further down the road of delegitimizing the institutions of American government and the vote itself and calling things into question. And oh my God, this is it. We're on the precipice of something terrible. How much of that do you gentlemen agree with? I, I find myself dispositionally, I suppose, skeptical of that hue and cry. But I, I, I wanted to get your take on it. I mean, as usual, I start with what the person in power says rather mm -hmm. than the reaction to it. And what the person in power said was stupid and wrong, full of lies, as usual, as he's been saying since he won the election last time. And three to five million uh, votes were somehow like phony or fraudulent, and that's why he didn't win the popular vote. It's what he said when he started mm -hmm. his stupid electoral fraud commission with Chris Kobach, who's an absolute <laughs> oh, conspiracy that. theorist, lunatic, who every time he tries to go to court to crack down against the so-called you know fraudsters and illegal voting gets smacked by the judge for not understanding basic things about the law and literally sentenced to go take remedial law classes because he's so bad at it. Um, <laughs> right. So, uh, it, no, it was bad what Trump said. But like uh, at this point, it's hard to take it all that seriously. Like Donald Trump immediately sends who to go to Pennsylvania to start challenging Giuliani. the county votes. Giuliani. Giuliani with one of his yeah. dumbass sons. Not Giuliani's sons, one of uh, Trump's dumbass sons. Um, <laughs> and so they're at a press conference and they got a dumbass son in a polo shirt and stubble. Uh, looking for his dealer and then you got like Giuliani <laughs> sitting there with his ferret teeth and it's like it's pretty hard to take that seriously um, and and as uh, Michael I think was alluding to earlier Martha McCallum's of the world are like yeah what's the claim you, yeah. <laughs> what is the fraud that you're pointing to what they're what they're trying to say in typical Trump administration uh, fashion lazily in the court of public opinion in a way that might, you know, get you supporters on Sinclair Broadcast Group, but just not going to uh, to sway even, you know, the the lowest of a lower court Republican appointed judge saying we had a big lead. Now the lead's gone. All the new votes seem to be Democratic. That must be fraud. 
This is this is not. Yeah, you, you got to come up with a fraud better than that. It, and so you're yeah. starting to see, especially yeah. now that the writing is beginning to be on the wall about the election itself. It'll be fascinating to watch, you know, formerly quiescent uh, Republican senators say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not standing with Trump on this one because mm-hmm. they see his actual power eroding. And so their fear of crossing his base or crossing him uh, stops because he doesn't seem to have that much in his pocket in these arguments. I mean, if you want to make, I mean, people love, of course, with Trump making uh, dictator analogies, and I'll allow one right now. And that is what happens when a dictator is losing his or her grip on power and what happens to the people around them. And you can see this time and time again of people who become all of a sudden quite brave. And that I think we're seeing uh, with people close to Trump because as Matt pointed out, um, there are a number of Republicans and I saw a bunch on Fox to beyond just the hosts themselves who were um, inching away from this. And now I, I, you know, I'm like Camille. I'm skeptical of this stuff because I think that after four years of looming fascism, you can't help but be skeptical of all these kind of heavy breathing claims. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't believe that there's a slow motion coup going on. Um, I do believe that what Trump said was um, stupid, reckless and irresponsible. And I don't believe that it's going to change anything because no one's going to stop a single fucking counting a single vote because of it, if anything. It rallies these secretaries of state to come on TV, which it's done uh, in Pennsylvania and Michigan. I saw both of them, uh, both women in Wisconsin, too, come in and say, you know, here's actually what's going on. And I'm going to explain it to you in a very kind of slow, boring, slightly tedious way, but it'll be clarifying. Because the weird thing about it is it's really hard to claim fraud here. Number one, because there's no examples of it. Maybe you'll find some. I don't know. But even Mm -hmm. on a mass scale, you know, what was it, the recount? Was it in what was the recount in 2016 where it you know swung 300 votes for Donald Trump uh, yeah. after a massive recount? I mean, might this is the, these are the, the the margins here. We're not talking about 20,000 votes. So right. I mean, these the, what you're seeing now is pretty much what you're going to get. But it's harder to make that claim when you say, "Oh my God, look at this!" I mean, Trump said this last night. We had this big lead and it disappeared. It's like, do you know every fucking pundit? And every pollster was right about one single thing. They were right about how these votes are going to come in, the order in which they're coming in. I just looked and I saw this morning, last night, and I was like, well, you know, looking at this map, let's just write off Georgia because it doesn't really look good for Trump. Just, you know, one eye open looking at the stuff after four hours of sleep. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that's. I mean, these Atlanta votes and Fulton County and Cobb County and all this stuff is coming in at the end. And I look now, the, 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 the margin is 30,000 votes now. Mm-hmm. That's small. That's really small. It's two point something million to two points. And there's a 30,000 vote difference. And I don't know how many votes are outstanding. But the White House is apparently quite nervous about this. And, you know, outwardly, I think all of this stuff is is not, I mean, Donald Trump knows he's not going to trick people in um, trick judges. I mean, look at look at Houston, by the way, when they challenged those uh, curbside voting things. The most conservative judge in the county who was appointed by George W. Bush was like, threw both of the lawsuits out and said, this is ridiculous. And like, that's the thing. It's like, you don't, the, 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 the 
fiction that so many people that I know operate under and labor under this horrible, stupid fiction is that if you are a quote-unquote conservative judge, if you're a quote-unquote liberal judge, that you rule entirely based on political instincts. And that's more often than not not true. And mm. if you do do that, you're not a very good judge and probably not going to be elevated to, to a higher court regardless of, of who's appointing you. So I think it's kind of silly to, to watch these people make these claims. I mean, Donald Trump is not knows he's not going to win in the courts. He's going to win or lose on these ballot, uh, on, on these counts, period, end of story. And he knows that. So what is he doing? Well, he's, prov- he's, he's getting his excuse ready for losing. Mm-hmm. He lost. Yeah. And he, yeah. lo- he lost, you know, and he's going to be a fucking one-term president. And that's, that's for somebody who loves winning so much. God, what a loss that is. Well, this is, this is the challenge. And, and Matt, this is part, part of the reason why I asked about the response to Donald Trump. Because I think we all, in, in many respects, remain curious. Uh, maybe I can use the word concerned about just what sort of long-term impact the past four years will have on the polity broadly, on the dynamics uh, between and within the two parties, and on the media because of the unique ways that they have adapted to um, covering this particular administration um, in, in a very adversarial way, in a uniformly adversarial way. And in many instances, that's resulted in coverage that is less severe of people who are perhaps bad actors or acting in somewhat nefarious ways, but are not obviously aligned with the Trump campaign or the Trump administration. And, and in other instances, I think profoundly exaggerating the awfulness of characters who are somewhat aligned with the Trump campaign. And it's, there is a really odd irony in the fact that the same people who for most of the past four years spent their time talking about this administration being co-opted by the Russians or some other bizarre conspiracy which have proven to have virtually no merit whatsoever, are today deeply concerned about one particular candidate's talk uh, about the illegitimacy of the election and the likelihood of there being some sort of electoral shenanigans, when in fact the reality here is that for most of this campaign, um, prominent people from both political parties, and it is certainly true of the two candidates from the major parties, have talked about the specter, in fact, the inevitability of voter fraud in some sense of the word, or at least voter suppression. Suppression, Um, And they've talked explicitly um, about the possibility of jailing or prosecuting their political opponents. There is a degradation of norms here that has taken place. It predates Donald Trump's emergence on the political scene. And I, I continue to wonder about the possibility of imagining that there is this very particular threat in the person of Donald Trump or an acknowledgement that whatever norms were supposed to be sort of safeguards against the political system becoming too polarized or too extreme those norms have already started to erode and break down. And some of the dysfunction that exists is just inherent. And it's not obvious to me that uh, a media that has become so invested in particular kinds of political outcomes will recover its scruples and again, be able to serve the important function that it needs to serve 
in terms of holding political actors to account and ensuring that they are getting accurate, serious answers from them. I, I do have some hope that they'll get this right. Um, but even now, with the stakes a bit lower, I, I was a bit distressed to not see a bit more coverage of an interest in some of the more outrageous political acts that have happened. And I think it's important to acknowledge both things. As you were talking just now, um, and this is relevant, uh, text from Nancy Rommelman in, uh, in uh, Portland, Oregon, serious mayhem and smashing. Mm. Is, uh, is uh, So Portland, Oregon, where um, Ted Wheeler, they're absolutely inept, feckless oh, mayor. Oh, he won, yeah. He won because yeah. he ran against the lady in the mouse skirt. Who was literally was, a communist. He was like, I'm a communist. Who was objectively pro-Antifa, pro yeah. uh, right? Which so, doesn't exist, by the way. So Oregon's out there. <laughs> Someone should tell on, her. <laughs> on the night, maybe, maybe not, that uh, that uh, uh, at least some media organizations will call Joe Biden the winner of the presidency. Antifa in a absolutely overwhelmingly democratic city is out there just smashing shit. And like, why? Um, you know, if you want to board things up in advance of election violence, board it up in absolutely liberal Portland. And, and by the way, stop. who did great two, two good things on um, on drugs on uh, mm -hmm. a couple of blows in the war on drugs yes. for their ballot initiative. So good for them. Uh, great headline in, in reason. I don't have it in front of me, but like the real winner last night was uh, was uh, uh, drugs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is basically true. Uh, uh, so, uh, Camille, this is this as someone who was editing uh, Reason magazine. Um, uh, I began in 2008, so I went mm -hmm. through the election, and then Obama wins the election. And I had a book about McCain that was critical, one mm -hmm. of these you know contenders. Uh, and then I, I sat in the uh, Obama years to watch the thrill down the leg of so many pundits, and not just conservative columnists from the New York Times or mm -hmm. MSNBC hosts, uh, talk about this. Um, it was nauseating. Um, uh, you know more than anyone else, Camille, how I always like to reorient the discussion around who holds power right now and are we mm -hmm. like critiquing them and one of the reasons that i do that is the experience of watching the rise of the fact checking you know mini micro industry politifacts yeah. whatnot um uh rise up during the obama administration to fact check what the crazy tea party Right. Because the Lord knows they had so much power in 2009. The lie of the year, and I'm forgetting the year of it. Maybe it's 2011, 12, 13, um, in that reign. Um, the lie of the year, the most important misstatement by a politician was Sarah Palin talking about death panels. Sarah Palin, who at that moment had maybe a reality show or maybe her husband had a reality show or maybe she had a baby. I was unclear, but she said death panels like on Facebook or something like that. And that was more important than all of the very, very many specific and often repeated lies that the president of the United States said in the process mm -hmm. of passing this major overall of the healthcare system that affects basically all of us. 2009, you know, Matt. 
2009. So yeah. uh, if you like your doctor, you can keep it that the average mm-hmm. premiums of everybody's going to go down by X thousand dollars or for families going to go down that uh, we did this against the will of the drug companies. We did this against the will of the healthcare lobbyists. All of these are easily disprovable lies. And we wrote about it constantly. And a lot of people wrote about it constantly at the time. Um, and yet this this act of hyperbole. Um, and, you know, comical hyperbole, and, and it, you could argue that it's wrong and a lie if you want to, um, from uh, a characterization about a future that wasn't yet there from uh, from Sarah Palin, basically arguing that there's going to be rationing um, in which care is going to have to be decided about the important end-of-life care based on cost, which is something that, in fact, does happen in a lot of uh, heavily socialized um, Indeed, uh, it does. Systems yeah. like uh, the NHS in England. And I realize we have some listeners who love the NHS, and okay, whatever. God love you. Uh, <laughs> God love you, man. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but like, that's the lie of the year. No, that's not the lie of the year. The lie of the year is something that a politician says while enacting or flexing or creating more power. Come on, man. Uh, and, and, <laughs> a lot of malarkey. Wow, just, a lot of <laughs> corn pop. Uh, so, like, that's what we're going to see. What are we going to see? What's a, what's a decent, uh, 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 like, a, a prognostication of where the media is going to go? We're going to be hunting down so many heretics and hypocrites for the next 18 months in media. It's going to be uh, because Donald Trump, is, he's close enough and he's an absolute conspiratorial nutbag enough and egotistical enough that he's going to say that the media and Fox News, we're hearing this now because Fox, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, was an early caller of Arizona, which is a key state, and not uh, many other people have called that. And so Trump was on the phone reportedly with Rupert Murdoch saying you got to reverse that call. Um, In fact, it was a pretty early call. There's reason to to think that Arizona might be a little bit uh, like this, but whatever. I think Trump is going to lose on the merits but he has a story that's locked in, and you can already see the idiots, the the, the Trump idiots, um, uh, rallying around a theory of the case that's nonsensical, but allows them to to nurse in their grievance um, in a way that Trump, if he so chooses, will continue to be the most dominant personality in the Republican Party. Um, if that's the case, hmm. the media is going to have. I mean, who else is it going to be for crying out? Is Ben Sass going to rise up? Is Tom Sassy going Ben Sass? Yeah, <laughs> going to tap into some heretofore unknown charisma? No, that's not going to happen. So, like, Trump is is close enough to if he wants to, if he chooses to, be this dominant uh, uh, kind of figure in politics, and so um, media has uh, has the squirrels uh, yeah. to chase. And and I, I, I don't think they're going to learn their lessons. A couple of things hmm. in that is that if you were a young buck uh, trying to challenge uh, Donald Trump uh, for dominance of the Republican Party, presuming he loses, there is a possibility that he, he doesn't still, um, although it's getting quite narrow at the moment. I would, uh, you know, use use uh, the weapons from his own arsenal and say, you know, it's time for you to go. Nobody likes a loser. Like, you know, you don't like John McCain who gets shot down. We don't like people who, who are losers, who are Republicans who, who, you know, win one term and then get ushered out immediately um, and get impeached, by the way, too, which everyone seems to, mm-hmm. seems to I, have forgotten I have a hard about. time seeing a, seeing a future where Republicans don't try to do that. They're, they're going, deliberate they're going to have way. to. And they, they might not. Yeah. They might not. But I think you're right. They, they're going to have to because um, 
I mean, this is like, you know, you know, the, the what the Tim Snyder's of the world would say is this is the Vichy moment where you uh, shave everybody's head who collaborated with Donald Trump and then cleanse the party of uh, of these bad people. I hope uh, there is something that happens that rids the party of Donald Trump uh, types, because it would be nice to have uh, a party that wasn't exactly the same in so many ways as Democrats on economic policy, for instance. I mean, or, or mm-hmm. a lot of overlap that I'm I'm not terribly comfortable with or would like some sort of um, frisson between two parties. But the thing that's going to be interesting is, you know, one thing that we didn't have before in the 2009 and that and that era post Bush and early Obama was a very, very organized, um, very entertaining, very um, uh, smart in a lot of ways uh, left that is like an ideological left, not Democrats, not progressive wing of the party like the fucking AOC shit, but the actual kind of Glenn Greenwalds of the world, Taibis of the world, the Chapo Trap House type guys, um, you know, people that were involved in the Bernie campaign um, from his uh, spokeswoman who uh, Brianna uh, Joy Gray, I think is in, in, who I interviewed mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. was really interesting about this stuff. So that'll actually be, be, be fun to see uh, Biden being attacked from his left because there's so the, the most of the pressure is going to come from at him from the left. I mean, the Republicans, I, I think, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. And Republicans, we thought we're going to more be, be, be pretty toothless because, you know, going to lose the house and the Senate. That didn't happen. It, you know, right. Dramatically wrong on that. So they're going to be getting it from both sides, which will be pretty, pretty interesting uh, to watch. But as far as the media is concerned, it, it's going to be impossible to, for people to um, downshift so quickly and it not be noticeably awkward. So this morning, a good example, Steve Inskeep, I tried to find the clip because I wanted to send it to you guys, um, was, was right. I, I, li- I like him. I think he's a, a decent, smart guy. But they're so used to this rhythm of talking in the Trump era. They're talking about his call at 2.30 in the morning that, uh, you know, I think we won this. I think we got Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, I think they're stealing it from us. Goes back to Inskeep and uh, somebody, a listener will probably find it for us. But he, there's one sentence in it where he says that what Donald Trump said isn't true about four or five times in one sentence. He's like, this claim that's <laughs> fake and is clearly not true, and Donald Trump said because it's not true. And it's like that thing that we've gotten so used to, and I've, I've been banging on about this for a couple of months now, but I would love it if they were consistent about that. The only reason that stuff bothers me, I don't care if you call out the, I mean, every politician would be called out all the time by everybody. I, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. But it's just it's just how it's narrowly applied. And I hope that if it's a, if if of course this is never going to happen. But if this were to be applied to Joe Biden, who the one thing I saw a Trump uh, a person talk about during the, the campaign, which I agreed with and most everything else I didn't, was that it is uh, demonstrably true that Joe Biden ne- was never asked a tough question during the entire race. I think that's sure. true. I mean, some of that is on the Trump campaign. They didn't do oh, a very good job yeah, yeah, yeah. of actually campaigning against Joe Biden. It was a terrible campaign. <laughs> it was a terrible I mean, campaign. There's name calling and then there's a Hunter Biden thing. Yes. Which in some respects was just it wasn't just that Twitter and Facebook were suppressing this story. That isn't the reason the attack didn't work. It just wasn't a great It was attack. a dud. It was a dud. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was it probably seemed pretty great to them. Like, holy shit, we have this, the president's son's laptops. And there's like sex video, like sounds amazing, but you know, it, it didn't do anything. Um, and also, by the way, the, the big losers of, of this campaign, despite it looks like their man is going to win is the Lincoln project because you know, mm. how much money and time and effort did they put into Florida? 
um, ads specifically. I mean, everyone's like, their ads are so amazing. 60 Minutes does a fawning profile of them. Yeah, it sounds like they're going to start a, a media company now. I mean, that's exactly what also, the world also means. Also rumors that Donald Trump's future may in, involve Trump TV, some sort of rival to Fox News, which... <laughs> I'm skeptical that's not of the happen. prospects for this project. I mean, has I mean, he's never run a Personally. he's never run a business that succeeded. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> him doing a TV fucking oh like OAN is still enough? exists. Yeah. You know, but who's yeah? Who wants that at this point? I mean, not only yeah. is the guy a psychopathic blowhard who says all the wrong things at like at, at, at every possible moment, he's also just lost. I mean, yeah. like I want that name on the marquee. It's like this is a guy yeah. who's a bit of a loser. I mean. Maybe I, I think I, don't, it, I think I don't it's think plausible. It, I think it's plausible. Uh, but keep okay. in mind what I'm talking about here. So, so one one to two internationally, years. by the way. I mean, you mm-hmm. can have the Trump Doral, and that it'll be just dandy because you know there's a lot of people in Florida <laughs> to service that. But the Trump uh, Hotel, you know, in uh, Sofia or in Bucharest or something, maybe maybe not as popular as it it was 15 years ago. Yeah, I don't I don't know. We'll see. I, I do want to talk about briefly about Democrats and the, the governing coalition that exists there with the progressives and the, the moderates, uh, Biden being representative of the moderates and the progressives, I mean, sort of the Bernie Sanders wing of the party. There are meaningful differences between those two. And mm-hmm. I think as you just underscored, Moynihan, they are going to have expectations that they will be rewarded for their loyalty. They've got an agenda that they want to see implemented. And after winning what is a, a very close election at this point and winning in a fashion that is less impressive than they suspected uh, in terms of not being able to secure the Senate and, and having this massive governing coalition that would be able to do absolutely anything. I mean, they, they were talking just weeks ago about finding a way to sort of permanently secure their control of government by packing the courts <laughs> and getting rid of the electoral college. I mean, this is this is bold, radical stuff, which I don't know that one can say that this election is a repudiation of that agenda. But at a minimum, I would have a very hard time if I were Joe Biden or Kamala Harris getting behind any Democrats who still thought talking openly about that sort of thing was a good idea. And I would certainly be pretty damn reluctant to actually pursue a lot of these bold policies when the opposition party does still have some teeth here. They do have a lot of influence in the courts and they they have the Senate. I have a bit of speculation that uh, Biden in some ways will find it a relief to have a Republican Senate. Part of this may be I'm uh, wish casting or attributing to him nicer thoughts than there's any reason to. But the notes that he's been sounding in the last couple of weeks and the last couple of days and hours have all been like, I'm not going to be the president of Democrats. We're not a red and blue America. It's, we're one America. Right. It's all right. It's pablum. It's the same stuff that Barack Obama said in his speech in 2004, the Democratic Convention. However, he does appear to believe that to some degree. You know, he's talking about like maybe appointing some Republicans here. I I take him a little bit at his word that he feels like we were in a weird, bad place and we need to get like into some fantasy kind of unity land, which is never really going to happen. But operationally, he does now have someone to blame <laughs> that he can't do things. He's got a plausible explanation to tell Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, look, sorry, 
I would totally love to have the consumer financial bureau of telling everyone what to do. Um, but you know, it's Dan Mitch McConnell. <laughs> That's a nice ring to it. That's a very good name. Is, yeah. not, is not gonna let me do it. Um, uh, and and I think that like the there's going to be some constraints at some point put on a president. Um, and Trump didn't operate with any constraints really uh, in terms of growing the size of of government, spending all the money. Let's just do this. Let's just mm-hmm. do that. Um, there wasn't many constraints. We you know there's the debt. Uh, uh, the deficit of of this year is four trillion dollars. <laughs> like, okay, you mm-hmm. can keep you can keep doing this. There's going to be a day when that becomes hard to do. At this point, I think the Social Security Trust Fund uh, starts to mandate across the board haircuts in like eight years. Like, it's mm-hmm. that the day that we've been putting off is like really kind of come up on us. Um, so uh, there's a chance if Joe Biden was smart, and he's not, so that's a problem. Um, Mm. That if he wanted to, he could Jerry Brown this. Jerry Brown, who wasn't the world's best, you know, what, what it was, is a third term as governor yeah. um, when he came in. <laughs> but he kind of had this I don't give a fuck energy about him when yes. it came to California's Democrats with all their ideas about what they want to spend money on and do on. The one terrible ex- exception to this is uh, that he in backed the stupid uh, high-speed rail project that has wasted so many billions of dollars to build like 12 uh, you know, a feet of track between Modesto and Fresno somewhere. Um, terrible idea. But, but he held the line and he disgruntled a lot of people because he's like, look, I'm 77 years old. I've been doing this for longer than all of you have been alive. Um, I am going. To, he didn't totally reinstitute what he called in the 70s back when he was legitimately interesting, uh, the era of limits. Um, but he did kind of put a cap in the financial crisis aftermath period of California on what the expectations could be for progressive politicians who wanted to do everything. I would love it if Biden mm. tapped that kind of energy and unlike Brown, uh, has some Republicans both to work with uh, on things that uh, that are uh, of import, but also to blame or at least shift the blame on when you don't do the wish list stuff with Bernie Sanders. It's what, uh, it's what I'm hoping anyways. It, I mean, there's, uh, there's so many people are going to be so unhappy with the election results that it's starting to make me look around and go like, wait, should I be kind of happy? Like, yeah, we replaced, exactly right. we, replaced, <laughs> we replaced the president I didn't like. Uh, yeah. We have divided government. It's uh, the best. We're not going to be able to do all that crap. And also, yeah. Biden Biden was the only Democrat in the field who would occasionally say stuff like he didn't do it at the in the last month to his discredit. But earlier mm-hmm. in the campaign, he's like court packing. Come on, stop it. Or he would occasionally uh, name check that a president can't just do anything that he wants to do. Yeah, uh, this is baby yeah. steps. And by the way, the, to almost the... all politicians. But I still would prefer to hear that. I just want to say that the person. <laughs> That he said the president can't just do what he wants. Uh, the person who laughed that off is now his vice president. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's a bit of a problem. Um, but but a, a couple of things about this is that, it, it, you know, the pressure from I mean, it is the perfect kind of result in a lot of ways. I mean, I wanted Donald Trump to be sent packing, um, not enthusiastic in any way about Joe Biden. Uh, but as you point out, Matt, I mean, it could be it could have been so much worse in that field. Um, it was a pretty pretty grim field in a lot of ways. Uh, but think about 2016. In 2016, do you remember the panic? Do you remember the crying people in newsrooms? Not only 
because Donald Trump won the presidency. Because Donald Trump won the presidency and Republicans retained control of the House and the Senate. They had mm. everything. They could drive a freight train through D.C., do whatever the fuck they want. They got nothing done. Literally accomplished yeah. nothing between yeah. 2016 and 2018. It is tax cut. Abs- well, the That's tax it. cut is the one that, you know, <laughs> that every uh, Trump. I mean, I had this this um, argument with Art Laffer. I remember he was like, tax cut, tax cut. Um, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> re- remember the uh, the, the thing. Um, uh, I, I, I remember the whole uh, uh, health care uh, debate and the you know, you only had six years to come up with something and came up with fuck all. And then Donald Trump sends it back. Uh, to Congress saying it's too mean. And this is a person who is like preternaturally mean and it was too mean for him. Like what is, and nothing made sense at the time. And then it yeah. all crumbled. So beyond what did Donald Trump accomplish? What didn't he accomplish, et cetera? He had two years there where the presumption was that he was going to be able to do anything. And as long as he got that, that I mean, of course he couldn't get even his entire, um, you know, Republican constituency within Congress under control, which was also a problem. They weren't they weren't a much like Hispanic voters. They weren't a monolithic block. The other thing is on the 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 pressure from the left is got a new member of the squad now with Cory Bush, uh, you know, the the activist uh, the Ferguson activist who uh, won quite handily in a, in a you know, very Democratic district. There was really no doubt that she was going to win. Um, but she is, uh, you know, I think a little more dynamic than a lot of people. She's very good with the bullhorn in her hand. Uh, then, like, she's better than, like, the, you know, the, the, the sort of Ringo stars of the, uh, of the squad. Like, uh, no offense to Ringo, who's great. Like the Ayanna Presleys in the world. It's like, it's like who? Oh yeah. She's, yeah. She's like, she's, she's like the guy from ELO and the traveling Wilburys, uh, Je- Jeff Lynn. It's like, oh yeah, he was in a band. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's th- that, that will not stand. That's uh, I love Jeff. Lynn. Uh, that coalition is small, but they're very, very pompous and they mm-hmm. overvalue themselves because the media overvalues them and loves them so much. And they keep on taking these runs at Nancy Pelosi and falling flat in their face and there's going to be a little more of that. And I think they're probably going to have a little more power this time around. Um, uh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, remember, I, I mean, AOC, Nancy Pelosi will not be around for forever. No, I, yeah. I, I have reason to suspect that they will outlast. Her. Yes. And <laughs> to the extent that's the case, I just as as I've said before, with respect to, to the Democrats, it's not obvious to me what power centers exist in that party beyond the, the squad. It seems to be where the, the, the real passion and fervor lies because the moderates are just kind of like, eh, yeah, it's Biden. because they're identifiable. Biden's yeah. not Trump. They have a name and they're the squad and they're good on yeah. TV and the rest of it. And also the media loves them. Uh, and the fantasies of the squad from a policy standpoint, like this is what many Democrats actually want, like universal health care, something like yeah. a Green New Deal, whatever that actually means, massive tax increases and massive entitlement increases. Lots of Democrats like that. And and interestingly, I think it is true that lots of populist Republicans who've so- supported like Donald too. Trump would probably like a lot of that stuff, too. So to the extent those things concern you, if you're one of those weirdos who likes limited government and less spending, et cetera, et cetera, that is still very much um, on offer on the horizon and something that will be advocated for. And the one thing that we haven't mentioned, astonishingly, in the context of this conversation is covid 
which is still a, a material problem that needs to be navigated. There are lockdowns being reinstituted uh, around the globe and possibly in the United States in the near future. Um, and certainly a Biden administration is going to be a lot more interested in pursuing some of those policies, or at least has indicated that they would be. That could have some part to play as well in whether or not you see cooperation and expanded spending and whether or not there's a meaningful break on the expansion of government in certain respects. Um, and mean, it, it may be indicative of where some of the, 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 the real fights are likely to take place in a, a very early Biden administration. About eight, nine, 12 years ago, uh, the Democratic Party was a suddenly fertile ground for discussions about things like vouchers and school choice and whatnot. Barack mm -hmm. Obama's uh, education secretary, Arne Duncan, who had done stuff like that in Chicago. Um, <laughs> who, who last uh, night tweeted that we should stop talking about red and blue yeah. and start talking about whiteness. Yeah. You, you whiteness know when you talk about whiteness? Thank you for stealing <laughs> yeah. my punchline. Well, the, the, you know what your punchline should be, Matt, is that, is that you know, you want to see whiteness work? As they say, <laughs> name your kid Arnie. That's about as white as you a fucking R N E. Yeah. It's he's a, it's a well, Scandinavian thing, but yeah, it's pretty fucking that, white. Matt. Yeah, I it's didn't all good. Step on your line. It's all good. Uh, no, uh, I mean you can't be expected to wait when you have that <laughs> in the quiver. Um, no, but like the Democratic Party then, and a lot of big city mayors back then who were Democrats were saying, "Hey, look, teachers unions have not been the friend of education reform. We have to do things." The, the Obama thing was called "Race to the Top" initiative. Mm -hmm. wasn't all that great, but it was better than nothing. Um, you know, I prefer the federal government doesn't really care one way or the other about stuff, but it was trying to encourage people to experiment at the local level. That era is done. It was done with Hillary Clinton running in 2016 and when she said, like, the problem with public education in America, K-12 education, is that we haven't been spending enough money. And there's just, like, no right. way. There's literally no way that if you're a serious person and if you looked at the trend line of spending on public K-12 education yeah, in this country per pupil since 1970 that the conclusion is we're we've decided to not spend enough money that's just not you're not that's no um but that's the democratic line and you guys might recall like during the uh the long uh, democratic primary for 2020 there was a big thing i think it was in texas houston or something like that where many thankfully i don't think joe biden but many of the democratic candidates went up to try to out uh, anti-charter schools one another. Bill de Blasio obviously was the worst because he's just the worst um, at this back when he was running. Uh, but like that is the center of gravity in the party. How does this matter? Well, it matters right now in that um, even with a Republican sentiment, Senate, um, uh, you're going to have sentiment from Biden and other people to basically send a whole bunch of federal money to local school districts in the name of COVID. Um, and mm -hmm to kind of look the other way uh, at the extent to which the uh, the strongest correlation for the reasons that schools, public school districts are closed or even partially open now is not is not the level of community infection or level of, 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 of hospitalization rates. It's not the covid the strongest indicator of whether your school system is going to be closed down is how powerful the unions are. So if the federal government under Biden, who is now in hock to teachers unions in a way that Barack Obama certainly was not to that degree, is going to solve this in air quotes by hucking all the money at teachers unions so that they continue to not teach 
basically, uh, and like, and parents are pulling their eyes out of their face trying to deal with this, uh, that could be a lot of bad policy. And there's something that was kind of mirrored in the Obama administration as well, because the financial crisis happens under their watch. What was the stimulus and bailout back then? A lot of it, like uh, 200 uh, some odd billion dollars, went basically just to bail out states uh, because those states did not spend the previous eight years saving for a rainy day. So they're like, okay, you're screwed. You can't print money. We'll give you the money from the federal government, which I think is lopsided all kinds of of policy issues in a bad way. I'm afraid we're going to see that with Biden in a way that does not uh, put pressure on those unions to like, hey, look, open the damn schools where it is possible, because then other things become possible. You know, I on uh, one thing on spending is that I've mentioned before that, you know, my conversation with Steve Bannon in which I pointed out to him that Breitbart really cut its teeth in the Tea Party movement and became a, a political force during the Tea Party movement and that it sounded like what he believed would be something that uh, was uh, the exact opposite of the Tea Party movement, that if he was running Breitbart at the time or maybe his politics changed, that he would have uh, said the auto bailouts weren't big enough because it didn't help enough people. Mm. And he said, absolutely right. I, I believe they weren't big enough and they were a good idea. Um, and that is, if that is where the party is, if that is where the Republican Party, and it is, it's, spending doesn't matter. It's like they could give a shit about that. They're not a small government party in, in its current iteration. One thing that I think really hurt them in this campaign is completely underappreciated and not talked about at all, is that Americans are also, the polling, of course, depends on how you phrase the question, but they're not opposed in, in in any significant way. If you if you call it socialism, they get skittish about it. Um, and they, if you call it government run healthcare, they get skittish about it. But um, if there was an NHS type thing in America, it it could potentially become quite popular. I don't think that that's too too hard to imagine. But what the Republicans could have done, if they're in this mindset of spending as much money as possible and not having any fealty to, you know, kind of Friedmanite ideas or, or limited government, it would have been nice for them or beneficial to them to have a health care plan. That is something that I think is pretty <laughs> shocking, is that there is... It's going to be announced. It's going to be announced. Don't you know. But if you... In two weeks. If you, in two days. In two days. Oh, here it is. This is a massive tome. Yeah. It contains the Yeah, I plan. don't want no. the fucking phone book <laughs> of the Hunan province. It is like this big stack of paper, like... Give me a simple thing of how I'm going to actually have health care because you can kite into COVID, the rest of it. It was a huge fucking missed opportunity because there is a way of because of, if you're going to they lie about things constantly. Right. I mean, why not just lie about this? Give me things that are totally unbelievable and fanciful about health care. And at least that would have been that would have been a way to hook people in. But, Camille, I have a question for you. This is something oh that I was contemplating um, this morning, a little bit last night when I was driving and hit a deer. Um, I did at ninety miles an hour. I hit it. I Again, hit yeah. Moynihan is fine. The car, car is, is fine. fine. The deer burst deer into a thousand pieces. Is fucked up. The deer. I saw a deer this morning. It looks like Larry Flint. It's in a. <laughs> it's fucking. Wow. <laughs> uh, you kind of slowed down. <laughs> I was in the middle of the road. Um, so uh, I have to say, these Hamptons deer are just dumb as hell. In the, mid- in the so middle awful. of the night, there's nothing out but the deer. Uh, it hit a fucking deer on the highway. It sideswiped it, just knocked this thing on its ass, and then kept going. It was like, I was like, holy shit. And then I turned off, and then I'm down on a smaller road, and I see like four more just like, you know, stand- they stop, and I'm like, 
How fucking dumb are you guys? They run, they towards, run towards the, the car. car. This is how you know evolution <laughs> is run alive. The car. And that God, God made God us. Made it. And he apparently made deer to kill yeah, us. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know what that is. That's maybe an eighth day Adventist, but that shit is the, I'm, <laughs> I'm on board. It's, I'm, there's a public policy thing about that. They don't allow people to kill deer in New York know, anymore. Just, wow. They don't allow is us to true? cull the herd. Yes. We and that to. leads to live disease. Everywhere. They're everywhere. And they need deer. to be slaughtered. Yeah. Kill the deer. In my, wow. Apparently, I, my yard's fenced in. The neighbor who I went once said, you know, once in a while they get in, like a jump over, and somehow, and then they get stuck there. And they just like, you yeah. have to call someone because they're, they're just like idiots and they can't get out. And they're like, they walk around, <laughs> they like sit and like they smoke and they just like play cards and like, Fucking you get deer. out of here? And they're like, no. <laughs> they're the worst. So dumb. Anyway, this is what I was thinking about before yeah. I hit the deer. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that uh, was last night, and I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm 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 thinking about this. I'm trying to put a positive gloss on on a lot of things. Was last night a kind of positive, uh, a bit of positive movement when it came to race relations? And I'll put it put it hmm. this way: is that the, a lot of the narratives of these bozos, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, the people who use the word Latin X unironically, uh, were blown up in a way. Or were complicated, mm-hmm. just put it that way. They were complicated in a lot of ways. And so this simple kind of narrative uh, seems to have been greatly challenged by the election last night. Um, California, uh, Biden stomps in California and voters mm-hmm. reject an affirmative action uh, uh, ballot initiative that would have you know, right. repealed this, I, Matt can tell the constitutional amendment, I think in 96. Uh, uh, so... That is like a, a, the opposite. People are voting for Biden and they are repealing that. There are a few other things, too, that I was thinking of um, uh, that, that seem to be kind of positive in this direction when there's been. Uh, yeah, well, particularly, you know, people who were, who were talking about defunding the police uh, wasn't a very, mm-hmm. a very big vote getter at the ballot box uh, last night either. So, you know, and I also think, by the way, that it, it's hard to quantify now. And who knows, because polling is fucking a lie um how we could actually determine this but i think that 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 the narrowing maybe in places like wisconsin um look at kenosha county where all uh-huh. that stuff happened right and kenosha county uh, i think i think uh trump won by a point in 2016 he won the state by by a point too it was a tiny tiny narrow victory but in kenosha county that was still quite narrow and I think Trump might have taken. I have to look. I don't quote me on that. But uh, mm-hmm. th- that that huge, uh, uh, you know, Joe Biden up by like sixteen points in Wisconsin uh, turned out right. not to be true. So yeah, that dwindled. All yeah. in all, I mean, I think there's some other points to be made. But did you get that positive feeling, or am I just trying to be too positive about a grim night? Well, I think there are a couple of ways to look at this, and and I do, you know, I talk to a number of uh, friends and acquaintances, um, some of whom decided that the best candidate in this particular race was Donald Trump. And the obvious reason was because of the excesses with respect to the commitment to to identity politics or wokeness. And there's a notion almost of a woke spiracy. The fact that the diversity and inclusion training had found its way into all of these various government agencies and the Trump administration decided to push back against it and uh, ban federal spending on these programs because they are discriminatory and anti-American from Donald Trump's perspective. And I would say that he's probably just broadly right about that. Um, but 
does does all of that go away now? Is this election a repudiation of that ideology? One, it definitely doesn't go away. It's already the case that many people who are supporters of this have retrenched and are still committed to those ideas and will never learn their lesson that this is, and this is the second thing, I think broadly unpopular. Donald Trump nearly won this election, it seems, and he certainly got a number of Americans to actually cast ballots for him. And I think it's pretty safe to say that almost no one and I, I would go further and say no one who is seriously committed to identity politics and believes it to be sort of the way of the future and is committed to anti-racism, et cetera, no one who believes those things voted for Donald Trump. They didn't cast a ballot for him. And I think there are many people who are skeptical of those propositions who did, in fact, cast ballots for Joe Biden anyways, despite his, say, proximity to people who are the most stringent supporters of that anti-racist program. So in that respect, I think it is fair to say that this is just not a popular ideology that most Americans support. It's not obvious that this is a massive vote winner. There was this sort of movement for Black Lives that was inspired over the course of the summer. But I do think that there there really is something else that is going on. And, and I think that whatever sort of energy that movement has been able to secure and however much those ideas have captured some elite academic institutions and a lot of media institutions as well, I do think there's probably something to be said for the fact that you do see similar kinds of things having played out in recent years around the world and actively right now in different places. And I think that there, there almost certainly is a connection to be drawn between the yellow vests and the tea party and nationalism broadly mm -hmm. and Brexit and populism right, yeah. and the Occupy protests and Trump and Obama. There is a general dissatisfaction with institutions, a, a willingness to endorse outsider candidates, a, a likelihood that political coalitions will sort of quickly dissolve and that vocal opposition will suddenly spring up and be really hard to pound out of existence. And I don't think that dynamic is going away anytime soon, which is both one of the reasons why, you know, the, the surge of interest in this thing kind of concerned me early on, because I think the Black Lives Matter movement is endlessly malleable. You can change it and direct it at almost anything, like, say, abolish the police. But at the same time, I, I do think that there are there's the ability to sort of see that thing dissipated. And, you know, the, the one thing that, that may happen quite soon is I would expect that Joe Biden will reverse the Trump administration's steps to make diversity and inclusion training uh, something that cannot be funded by federal dollars. Biden administration probably rolls that back. Does that mean that every single federal institution is, is suddenly going to be awash in wokeness and will be captured and Soon every child will be confessing their sins, calling themselves white supremacists and and voting for reparations. I think that's unlikely. I'm still skeptical of government's ability to implement programs of those sorts. I think to the extent it becomes institutionalized, it actually becomes a bit easier to fight. Like part of the challenge now is that it's decentralized. So I think it's not the worst news. Um, and I think it's important not to overstate sort of the risks associated with some of this awfulness, but it's still important to make the affirmative case for, you know, the values of people who are 
universalists who believe in meritocracy and who believe that people ought to be judged on the basis of the content of their character and who believe that the reductivist, tribalist, identitarian nonsense that people like Nicole Hannah-Jones and Charles Blow and Ernie Duncan um, are insisting on selling is, is something that is well past its sell-by date. When I see Ernie Duncan tell me that we should stop talking about red versus blue and we should start to talk about whiteness, I think to myself, that sounds like white supremacy. It sounds like a man who believes that he is in a position to save all of us. And by all of us, I mean those brown people, those horrible downtrodden brown people, because he is, he's white and he, he, can, he can protect us and uplift us. And it seems pretty nonsensical to me and somewhat disrespectful. So, yeah, I don't know if that's an answer. Well, right question, when you but right things. when you started answering that, uh, a friend on a group chat wrote to the group, it was a perfect outcome for me. This is presuming uh, uh, Biden wins. It was a perfect outcome for me. Mm. Trump out in the cultural left defanged. Um, mm. And uh, then sent along a, uh, a piece from the week uh, by my old friend and colleague, uh, Damon Linker. Uh, Good piece. And... Uh, it's a quite, quite, quite yeah, good. and it's called yeah. the left just got crushed, and uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, and I, I skimmed it, so I haven't I haven't read it yet, but uh, but I three people I respect just said it it was good, so you all should read it. And yeah, Andrew Sullivan said he loves it and said that every word of it was great. I thought much of it was very good. I I do think that the yeah, Andrew's that, known for there that. is <laughs> I do think there's a bit of overstatement oftentimes when folks talk about the Trump administration's response to COVID and the body count. And the reality is that most of the developed world has had pretty bad outcomes when it comes to this stuff. Asian countries have done better on average than European countries and the United States. But, you know, this is just, it's a challenge. And I'm not certain that most recent U.S. administrations have they been faced with the same challenges would have had uh, far better outcomes, which is not a reason to not condemn the Trump administration for their failures, mm-hmm. but it's worth keeping in mind that you just can't hang all 200,000 deaths in the United States or however many more there will be on the Trump administration. It's just, it's nonsense. Do you know, do you know how, claim doesn't do you know how political sense. COVID is? Is that you, uh, Trump uh, gets a shellacking for it. Um, and I think in a lot of areas, justifiably so. Uh, Boris Johnson mm-hmm. Uh, gets a gets a shellacking. I think sometimes uh, people really love to hate Boris a little too much, and mm-hmm. uh, because you know he's a divisive figure, they think he's Trump like the rest of it. And you can go down, you, you can go that. down the 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 list, uh, Bolsonaro, etc. But you know it's <laughs> you know it's really political when no one pays mm. attention to the fact that the worst perpetrator of COVID uh, related shitty deaths in bad policy and infection mm. rate in Europe is who. Belgium. No one ever talks about fucking Belgium because who, you know, no one cares. You know, who are you going to attack in Belgium? People are like, who's the, who's the leader? Do they have a prime minister? Do they have a president? Do they have a, a Tsarina? I thought, I thought that, for like, sure great... you were going to mention Cuomo. Uh, well, that's also yeah. true. It's playing against we, time. We, we've talked about that a little too much. <laughs> that's true. Belgium there's, had there's that, no like eight, 18 months when they didn't even have a government and no one yeah. knew. Yeah. Like, yeah, can I, yeah, yeah, and and and, and um, it, their prime minister is named Alexander de Croo, C R O O. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, but yeah, nobody knows that. He's probably the least recognizable uh, prime minister 
uh, on Earth, actually. Um, and he's got he's got uh, a, a a death toll that could rival uh, uh, a lot of people. Like I think it's actually it might be the one of the worst, I mean the top five in the world. I don't know, but uh, just final note on the woke, woke stuff. I'm just looking forward to see what all the brand spanking new. Uh, racism desks at newspapers and news organizations that have been erected over the past 12 months. The Washington Post, I think the Wall Street Journal might even have one, um, mm-hmm. uh, are going to write about now that the sort of grand target of their animus, kind of reason for them to, to be here, in many ways, they might not uh, characterize it as such, uh, is no longer in the White House. What are they going to? What What is the New York Times sports page going to write about uh, every day when it's not going to be about the awful racism pulsing through the co- country? Or they're just going to? No, they'll, uh, they'll keep, keep doing it. it. What do you mean? Of course they'll keep doing it. The, the right. race was too close. They have to. And 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 I think the audience will, uh, with rare exceptions, uh, I think keep leaving because it's. I, I hope so. It gets tiresome. I hope so. I, I hope they will vote with their feet. I, I also think you, you really do have to confront these bad ideas. You need to do it forcefully. You need to ridicule them. You need to drive them out. Uh, but I also just, <laughs> I, I just can't get involved in the, the whole <laughs> crusade, the, the belief that these ideas are going to you know, wash over us and take over once the powers that be decide that they will program us with these bad ideas. Because that's I mean, seriously, like when was the last time a bold government initiative to make everyone believe something actually worked? I like your I like your I like your (laughs) Churchillian uh, rant there. I want to cut that out and put it at the top. It's like you've got to ridicule them. You've got to fight them on the beaches. We'll fight them. We'll never surrender. Yeah, that was was, you're not playing games at all. Yeah. 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 All right. Come get it. I'm your Huckleberry. Um, we, um, Camille 2024. I'm your Huckleberry. Yeah. That that actually is not a bad idea. Not, Tombstone, not so bad. one of my all-time favorite movies. Probably my favorite movie of all times. Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday. There's no greater performance in the history of cinema. Wow. It's just true. You just lost, you just just lost a lot of votes there. But I will say um, that I think okay. that... I don't want your vote if you I don't th- agree with that. <laughs> Racist. Think- <laughs> I think that it is true. I think it's true. And I think this is a fucking scary thought that if you thought about this, Camille Foster, when you were, uh, you know, in short pants, or you were in college. Mm. Uh, uh, what were you in? in Maryland? You were a Terrapin? You were a Terrapin? Mm-hmm. College, park. Uh, in college Park. That you, if I, somebody yep. had said this to you, you'd think they're out of their mind. But I think that reasonably you could get lowest half a million votes uh, if you did a serious run for the presidency. And the uh, community, maybe a million mm-hmm. votes. I mean, that's kind of scary mm-hmm. to think of. No, no, no. I, I think I think look, Joe Jorgensen right now has one point six three million. But Matt, votes. but Joe Matt, Jorgensen. she is a magnetic personality. <laughs> she just really one point six four million. She's votes. A, speaking a of Churchillian. I, I can guarantee you, if I oh. were to run on any part of the ticket, vice president or otherwise. And I don't even have all the control if I'm like running as the vice president. There's no way I don't outperform the benchmark that Gary Johnson set for the Libertarian Party. Five, ten percent is the minimum that wow. a Camille Foster involved campaign would do. We would just do I love, the, I love the bits when he sounds like Kanye, when he's just like, I am the greatest. <laughs> I am like 
I didn't yeah. say that. I didn't say that. I just said we would do numbers. You're going to outperform. You're going to do 5 10%? percent I didn't say I'm going to win. 5 or 10% know, in, in the United States of America is a shitload. That's a that's lot. a lot. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Cut above the rest. I mean, that's I love true. that Gary Johnson's short, short circuit <laughs> moment. Um, and then, of course, by the way, for four years, we had like the dumbest person in the world in the White House. Um, and we were worried about this when he was on MSNBC and he's like, what's in Aleppo? And it's like, it is a small woodland creature. Now let's keep going in this conversation. Mike Barnacle. Um, it's a thing that you lied about, Mike Barnacle. Um, but uh, you, can't believe he still has a career. But uh, yeah, what would your version of that moment be? I think it actually would be the opposite. Mm-hmm. Your version would be not you saying something dumb. It would be some, you saying something that I thought was smart but the rest of the world was totally horrified by <laughs> Yeah. No, there's no shortage of things for the world to be horrified with That's Camille true. Foster on a broad true. stage. Um, it's true. Why does the BBC, yeah. BBC but, have Biden at 243, um, whereas everybody else has him at 264? What does the BBC know that we don't? That the American uh, media lies. Yeah. That they're, they're in BBC the probably is... It's taking it from Reuters, uh, and Reuters, unlike other people, is not counting Wisconsin. Okay. Well, that's fucking stupid. Um, all right. <laughs> all right, I got to go. This is fucking dumb. I got to go. I'm going to get this is probably it? a deer in my yard. I got to punch it in the mouth. I'm going to pretend it's, I'm gonna pretend Take- it's Joe Jorgensen because I have so much <laughs> anger and hate. By the way, I couldn't pick that woman out of a lineup. I didn't even know until it was a woman until recently. <laughs> Well, we, we know, thanks to Joe Jorgensen, that it's not enough to be against racism or not racist. You have to be actively racist, actively right? Actively anti-racist. <laughs> oh, I got it wrong. Yeah. You have to be. Because oh. when you're a libertarian, that's your whole thing. You tell people oh. what to do. You just boss them around. You know, it was a really short uh, uh, sprint there from Ron Paul's admonition to be actively racist. <laughs> to- <laughs> that is not... A to be thing actively answered. that happened. I'm <laughs> candidate candidate Ron I, Paul repudiated racism. You know how many dumb. As you could tell you. by his first ad in New Hampshire in 2008 hey, about yeah. all the Mexicans. Oh, that? Well, yeah, well, yeah, go look it up. It's pretty great. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. 